Thank you all again for coming out. We're really glad that you are, are here today. We're off to a really good start. I appreciate Kim leading, leading the songs. I really like the words of 709. We probably don't sing that one enough. The words uh, to that song are, are really good, and Bradley just really worded that prayer especially well. We, we appreciate those men, and thank you for being here today. A couple of things I wanted to mention. Uh, this, just a few days ago, a lady came down here to the church building and asked me if we had any of the, the basic Bible reference cards. Uh, she needed some uh, to give out to some friends, and I said, Sure. Well, it turns out I had two. I didn't realize we were, we were that low, but I, got, I, got, I ordered another packet. They're in the uh, racks back there at the back. If you don't have one, this, these things are very handy to have. They cover just about every subject that you could think of in the Bible, and they make a really good bookmark on top of that. And so uh, if you don't have one, it might be something you want to stick in your Bible in your purse or in your pocket. I used to have one folded up and stuck in my wallet. And so it's just a good thing to, to have. If you get stuck and you need a passage, you can probably find it on that, those basic Bible references. Just something uh, for you to, to think about. We're glad, glad that you're here today. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 from the, from the King James Version... Paul says there, study, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul also, writing in Romans 10 and verse 17, tells us that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so we know that Bible study is, is very important. Reading and hearing and understanding the Word. Very, very important for us. But one of the first rules of Bible study that we all need to understand is that when God tells us what He wants and how He wants us to do it, that's it. It's unamendable by us humans. We cannot alter it to suit ourselves. And yet folks will almost always say there will be somebody who will say, well, most of us would rather do it a different way. And we have the majority on our side. We need to understand that that's not even a consideration. The, the numbers and the majority and what most people would rather do doesn't even come into play. God makes the rules. And we go by those rules. When he tells us what he wants us to do, that rules out anything else, uh, anything extra that we might think of, anything extra that we might, we might be thinking, well, that'll make it a little bit more fun or a little bit more uh, entertaining, a little more interesting. Those things are ruled out. If God tells us specifically this is what I want you to do, then that's all we can do. I am a, uh, I'm a list person. By that I mean I, I write things down, especially over the past few years. I can't count on my memory 
the way I once could, and so I, I write things down. It might be something concerning uh, the church, uh, someone who maybe uh, I know needs a visit, one of our shut-ins possibly that I haven't seen in a little while. I, I use a, uh, a, a, I call it my date book. It's a, it's a little book as a, has a calendar on, uh, on each page for each month, January and in February and in March and on and on. I use that to, to keep up with what I need to do and what I have done. What, what did I do back on uh, January the 15th uh, as far as the church is concerned? I can look back in my date book and I can probably tell you. And that's what I use it for. Well, on the, on the right side of my date book, there's a column. And that column is just for writing things down. And, and I use it to write down that, that person's name that I know I, I need to make sure that I get that person visited. I'll write their name down. And then I can remember to do that. It's not uncommon for, for Sandy to say to me in the middle of the week, hey, we need a loaf of bread. We need some milk. We need, uh, we need some sugar. Not, not uncommon, happens a lot. Well, I'm going to write that down so that I will remember to run by the dollar store or the, the Walmart and, and pick up those items that we need at the house. Now, on my list... I only write the names of the people that I need to remember. I don't write everybody's name, just those names I'm trying to remember. On my uh, grocery list, I only write down those items that I need to pick up at the store. I don't write down everything I can think of, just those things. And I think God does it the same way. He tells us what He wants us to do. And this is how I want you to do it. And, and, and that's it. Now, God is not specific about everything. We worship here on the first day of the week. We know if we study our New Testament, we see the example of what they did in the, in the first century. The first day of the week was the day to worship. We meet here at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday morning, and that's fine. But I can remember a time when Bethel's meeting time was 10 a.m. When I was a young man, we met at 10 a.m. That's also fine. We could meet at 9 a.m. or 8 a.m. if we wanted to, and that would be fine. We know we worship on the first day of the week, but God doesn't tell us what day to come, what time to come together. That's up to us at our worship. We have a pretty much regular way of, of conducting our order uh, of worship. We, we sing the three songs. Someone will lead us in prayer. We have the message from the pulpit. We serve the Lord's Supper and give of our means, and that's fine. Every congregation doesn't do it that way. Some congregations serve the Lord's Supper at the very beginning. First thing they do is they serve the Lord's Supper. And then they might sing five songs, six songs, seven songs, and that's also fine. God lets us know what He wants us to do at worship. 
but he doesn't tell us the order to do it in. That's up to us. But when God is specific, this is what I want you to do, then that's all that we can do. And I say with sadness that there are congregations of the Lord's church that are forgetting that. There are congregations that are, that are going beyond what we see in the New Testament. They are, they are pushing the boundaries of, of what, is, what is scriptural. We don't see it in the New Testament, but they're adding it to their services and to their worship. The, the word we hear today is, is contemporary. Contemporary worship. Well, the only thing we need to concern ourselves with is, is it in the New Testament? When God is specific about things, that's all we can do. If God would have told Noah, Noah, I need a real big boat. I would say Noah could have built any boat he wanted to. As long as, as long as it was big, he could have built it any way he wanted to. But God said, Noah, I want you to build that boat out of gopher wood. It needs to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. When, God got, when Noah got those instructions from God, that's all he could do. He had to follow the pattern that God gave him for building that ark. When God said gopher wood, he ruled out any other kind. Noah couldn't use any kind he wanted to because God said gopher wood. When he said 300 cubits, he didn't mean 200. 300 cubits long, 50 wide, 30 high. And Noah had to follow those instructions. When God, through the prophet Elisha, told Naaman to, to dip in Jordan seven times and your leprosy will be washed away. That, that's, all Naaman, that's all Naaman could do. Jordan. Seven times. But Naaman, uh, he, he was like a lot of us uh, humans today. The human race hadn't changed too much because Naaman said, well, there's a couple of rivers back in Syria. They're better than the Jordan. Can I go dip in them? Uh-uh. Won't work, Naaman. Jordan, seven times. That's all that will work. Proper respect for God's Word demands that we do what God said in the way that He says to do it. Have you ever noticed Psalms 19 and verse 13? And if you're thinking... T.A., I don't have any idea what that passage says. Don't feel bad because it's kind of an obscure passage. We, we don't read it. Well, we never really use it in our studies. But in that passage, the psalmist says, Lord, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, and then, and then I shall be blameless and innocent of the great transgression. Presumptuous 
sins. Oh, I think this is okay, don't you? It's what most of us want to do, so... Is there a command in the New Testament? Well, no. Is there an example in the New Testament? No, but, but it's what we want to do. My friends, we are in no position to make those kind of assumptions. We look in the New Testament and see what God tells us to do, and that's it. No more and no less. If God would have told us at your worship service on the first day of the week, I want you to observe the Lord's Supper. And those were the only instructions that we had. I believe we probably could have done whatever we wanted to do. We could have used whatever we wanted to use during the Lord's Supper. We might switch it up a little bit for a little bit of variety if that's the only instructions that we had. But if we look in the New Testament, we will see that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us about Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. We would see that it was the Passover meal. And so we know it was unleavened bread. That's all the Jews could use during the Passover meal. In fact, not only would they not bake with leaven, they would get it all out of the house. They wouldn't even have any leaven inside the house during Passover time. We know it was unleavened bread. We would see that Matthew and Mark both tell us that Jesus took the cup he gave it to his disciples, but he said to them, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We have those two clear examples. Unleavened bread, fruit of the vine. If we do it that way, then surely we would say it's the right way. If God would have told us that at your, at your worship service, I want you to have some kind of music, then I would say, again, we could do whatever we want to. We could have an orchestra up here if we wanted to, if that's all God said. But if we look in the New Testament, this is our God. We would see that Ephesians 5 and verse 19 tells us to sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. We would see that Colossians 3 and 16 tells us to sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And more than that, if we look at the history of of the church from, from, the, from the very beginning. The historians tell us that the instrument was first introduced into worship by Pope Vitalius in the 600s A.D. Jesus has already been back in heaven for six centuries the church has been in existence for, for 600 years. And let me say this again. Pope Vitalius introduced the organ into worship. And the historians tell us that it was met with such fierce opposition, he had to take it out. 
He had to withdraw it. Those people didn't want an, uh, uh, an organ in their worship. They'd never had it before, and they didn't want it then. He had to withdraw it. The historians tell us that it wasn't until after the year 1000 that it actually began to catch on and become common and accepted for, for centuries. Centuries. The early church did not use the instrument in worship. If we just do things the way that they did them in, in the early days, it must be the right way. We, we don't need to be uh, uh, so presumptuous when it comes to our worship service. Let's look and see what's in the New Testament. And that's what we do. No more. No less. Now remember, and, and this is this is the difficult part of, of this lesson for me. I, 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 I searched, I worked on this thing all week long, and even right, right up until this morning, I, I was looking for the right words for, for this, this portion of, of the lesson. How, how can I word this to, to get across to you when I, the point I'm trying to make? Paul, Paul told Timothy to rightly divide the word of truth. To understand a passage, we need to know all that we can about it. Who, who, who wrote that particular book of the Bible? Who was it written to? And what, what was going on? What was the circumstances? For example, uh, in the early church in Corinth, they, they had division. They, they weren't brothers and sisters uh, at Corinth. Paul even told them in 1 Corinthians they couldn't even take the Lord's Supper right because they were not acting like brothers and sisters. 1 Corinthians was written to correct that and a few other issues uh, there in the congregation at Corinth. In the province of Galatia, in the churches there, some of the folks were insisting that the law of Moses still had to be practiced. Galatians was written to correct that. And we cannot thumb through the Bible and find a verse or two and build our entire religious beliefs around one or two verses. We have to read the New Testament in context. What is that passage trying to say? We've got to read a few verses before. We need to read a few verses after and, and read that verse in context. What is the writer trying to say? And you know... In the New Testament, there are some places where a thought goes further than a chapter does. And what I mean by that is, when these epistles were written, it was a letter, my friends, just like we would write a letter. There were no chapters. There were no verses. Those things were put in many, many, many years later 
to help us find our, our places in the Bible. Uh, it was a good thing. It, it's been very helpful for us. I can mention a passage and you know right where to turn to. That's why the chapters and the verses were put in. But in the beginning, when these epistles were written, not there. And so, what happens in some places in the New Testament, a chapter ends, but the thought continues. In Romans chapter 5, Paul is, is writing about the importance of God's grace. Grace was so important. Chapter 5 ends... But at the beginning of chapter 6, Paul begins by saying, So do we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid! How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And he goes on to explain the importance of water baptism and being raised to walk in newness of life. The thought goes on. The, the, the chapter ends. But the thought goes on. We've got to study these things in context. Look at the whole passage and try to understand it. Let me show you something in Mark chapter 16. I think it's fair to say that just about everybody in this room knows what Mark 16 and 16 says. Let's look at verse 15 and read a few verses here. Mark 16 and verse 15. And so he said to them, Jesus is just about ready to ascend back to heaven. And so he says to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Verse 17. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now we definitely need to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We need to do that. But those signs... Those were for the apostles and not for us. We don't need to be taking up serpents. If we drink deadly poison, it will be deadly, my friends. Those things were for the apostles and not for us. We have to study these things in context. We wouldn't know too much about a book, whatever that book was. We wouldn't know too much about it if we just kind of skipped around. We read the first two pages and then we turned about 50 pages over and read a couple more and, and then we turned and read a couple more. We couldn't say that we really knew a whole lot about that book, could we? That's how some people study their Bibles. Now, now folks, don't get me wrong here. Reading your Bible is a great thing. That's good. It's always good to study the Bible. But we're trying, we're trying to understand it. We're trying to, to comprehend it. You can't look in the Old Testament and find out what we need to do today 
under the new covenant. There are some good lessons for us to learn in the Old Testament. There's some, there's some good examples that we can look at and learn from. There's some bad examples that we can look at and, and learn from. But the plan of salvation is not found in the Old Testament. Isaiah and, and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea and Amos, those men were great prophets. And the work that they did in their day was very important. And the prophets actually point us towards Jesus. They prophesied about the Messiah. They prophesied about the church. And so their work was important. But how to become a Christian and live a Christian life is not found in the Old Testament. We must rightly divide the word of truth. Let us dedicate ourselves to, to studying our Bibles, putting the New Testament into practice. Let us study the word reasonably and sensibly in context, put those things into practice, and then we know that we're doing it the right way. This morning we know that we must be obedient to that plan of salvation. We know that. We have to obey the gospel. That means repentance of sins. That means confessing the name of Jesus Christ. That means immersion in the waters of baptism for the remission of sin. As, as, as Paul said in Romans 5, the grace of God is important. But through the grace of God, we've got a plan of salvation that we have to be obedient to. That he explains in Romans 6 if we read the whole thing in context. Water baptism for the remission of sins, raised to walk in newness of life. This morning, if you've never obeyed the gospel, you can get that done and we'll help you. Perhaps you have been a Christian at some time in your life, have not been as faithful as you should have been. Throw off those things that caused you to fall. Ask for the prayers of the faithful and be restored. While we stand and sing.